All right, well, for those of you who are visiting with us today and uh, or maybe haven't been here in a while, we have uh, been preaching a series just taking a look at interactions that Jesus had with people in the Gospels and just trying to grab from that what did his interaction with people reveal about his character, trying to put ourselves in the story, if you will, uh, so that, you know, we're, I wanted to try and be Nicodemus, the, the guy who was uh, religious and came to Jesus at night. Uh, I want to try and be the woman at the well, a little further fetched, the woman's side, not the sin side. But, but being, uh, try and put ourselves in the place of these people that Jesus had interactions with. And take a look at who Jesus is based on, uh, on, on his interactions with people because Jesus was in relationship with people. This, this whole series has been sparked by the question that uh, Philip asked Jesus at the end of his life, during his last moments with his disciples. So at the conclusion of three years of, of, in, of interaction with Jesus, seeing everything that he was and did, and, and Philip asks him to show him the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and, and you still don't know me that if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And as I was going through that passage of Scripture, man, God just really pressed on me this issue that, first of all, guilt in my own life because we possess the Holy Spirit who is God. That if Jesus was here today and he were talking to us and we were said, God, I wish, how many times have you said this? I wish Jesus was here so we could, you know, touch him, see him, and, and, then, and then we would know. You know, then we would know what he wants us to do. Then we would know how he wants us to live. Then we would know that, you know, what, what so-and-so is saying is, is crazy and, and outside of God's will. Then we would know who the hypocrites are, right? If we could see Jesus, and, man, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me the same thing Jesus said to the disciples. How long am I going to be with you? And you don't recognize, you don't know me. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen me. The Holy Spirit is exactly the same as Jesus. There is no difference between, uh, the, to, between the, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. If you've seen one, the character of one, the, the, the activity of one, the heart of one, the passion of one, then you've seen the passion, activity, and heart of all, right? Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right? It's true, right? Because if we believe in the Trinity, which we do at the gathering place, uh, we teach that anyway. I don't know if you believe it at the gathering place, but we teach it at the gathering place. If you believe in the Trinity, then that, that is a major concept, right? A major, major piece of the Trinity we need to understand. When we've seen one, we've seen them all. And there's plenty of Scripture to support that. You know, when the Bible talks about any part of the, the uh, Trinity, the Godhead, then, then we see him saying the same things. The Scripture says the same things about one as he says about the others. There is no difference. So we are guilty, probably more, not probably, we are more guilty by Jesus' own confession. We as New Testament, New Covenant believers who have the Holy Spirit living in us. If we've received Christ, he lives in us. He dwells with us. We have it better than the disciples did. Jesus said, it's better if I go away because then the Holy Spirit will come to you. And man, you know, if you, if you are like me, I've spent most of my life thinking, I wish I had Jesus here. And Jesus said, it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, we haven't gotten that. Well, I'm going to tell you, those of you that are visiting, a lot of you are visiting today, this has been a transformational 
series for me as a pastor of this group. Which most of you, those of you that are, are here know that that's not abnormal. You, you, you're praying that finally God's going to do something in my life, right, and I'm going to change. But the rest of you would probably think, oh, he's the pastor. You know, if you, if you, are not, if you don't know me, you might know or think, oh, he, he's got it together. Well, he doesn't have it together. And, man, I have enjoyed so much just looking at Jesus. It's been hard, though, because I've also got a Ph.D. from the seminary. And so when I look at Scripture, I look at doctrine, I look at theology, I look at words and phrases and context. You know, I've, I've been trained to, to read the Bible with a whole lot of other things helping me to read it correctly. And there's nothing wrong with that. All right, for those of you who are Bible students and Bible teachers, Russ, Russ is babysitting. No, there he is. Yeah, even the Old Testament is the Bible. So, so I'm not saying that's wrong, but I am saying that, man, we, you know, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and, and he, he wants to communicate not just truth, not just the, the words of the Bible and the content of the Bible, and, and wants us to dialogue and, and, and uh, argue and communicate, not, not necessarily argue, we argue in a good way, dispute uh, theological ideas and thoughts and doctrinal thoughts and ideas, but in, he wants all of that to ultimately lead us to an understanding of who he is. And I believe we as a gathering place have been way off of that. And so forgive us, those of you that are coming here today, because I know you probably don't have that problem, but we do. And it starts right here. But, man, how beautiful it's been to just look at Jesus and see his encounters with people and find out who he is. So what, what we're discovering is the title of our series, and that is Jesus is Enough. He is enough. Uh, now, we're using him because we're studying him, but... Take, we can replace Jesus' name with the Holy Spirit and say the Holy Spirit for us as New Covenant believers is enough. He's enough for us. And so we've been working our way through the Gospels and trying to do it in some kind of chronological order. I'm, I'm using a synoptic plan and just kind of working my way through and pulling these stories out. So today just happens to fall on something that I think is going to be really useful for us, and that is Jesus has uh, or speaks with authority. Jesus speaks with authority. Every time Jesus speaks in the Bible, people are in awe at, at, his, at his talks. The words that come out of his mouth are life-changing. They're transformational. Uh, all of us have experienced that with the Holy Spirit as well. When, when, when a, a speaker like me gets up and finally allows the Holy Spirit to speak through him, maybe on a Sunday, then you feel it. You know it. God spoke to you, and it's amazing how God will move, within, the Holy Spirit will move within the congregation in each heart uh, that he possesses, and he will transform some way of thinking and acting for you because that's what he does. He's always done that. It's power and authority that happens when God speaks. And so Jesus speaks in our text today. Last week we saw that Jesus offered repentance to all uh, as we watched his interaction with the Gentiles in Galilee. You know, Jesus took up residence there. He lived there. And we've already seen uh, Jesus' next encounters in the, in the Synoptic Gospels when he calls his disciples because we started there and looked at Jesus' interaction with the disciples. And so today we pick up after the calling of his disciples because Jesus hits the synagogue at Capernaum. 
And when he shows up in the synagogue, we get to see the authority of his preaching and his ministry. So let's take a look at that in Luke chapter 4. Just going to do two verses today, uh, which means only an hour and a half. So, not really. That was a weak laugh, so I'm sorry for those of you that thought that was real. I got to play at 2 o'clock today that I've got to act in, so we've got to get out of here. Unless the Holy Spirit keeps us. We'll get spiritual. All right, here we go. So 31 and 32. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because his word possessed authority. His word possessed authority. If I were to ask you about the most powerful sermon you ever heard or the most influential sermon you ever heard or the, ones that, the, the, the preachers that you like the most, my guess would be that the majority of people in, uh, in the world today, uh, in, in Christian churches, contemporary Christian churches, would say, oh, it's the one that uses these uh, high-dollar illustrations, you know, that they just drove the message home. Or the, it's the guy that's so, uh, such a good speaker. You know, he, he really handles himself well. He handles the text well. Or it'd be the guy that really uh, understands the Bible well and just can uh, unfold it and un- unpack it in a way that makes me feel good, right? And so we, we, we listen to sermon after sermon of those people who are good at that kind of stuff. But listen to what it says about Jesus. The Scripture says they were astonished not because he was colorful, not because he was boisterous and because he, he spoke loud and because he stepped on their toes or because he had a great illustration to use. They were astonished at one thing, and that was the power that he possessed, the authority that he possessed in his words. Makes sense. Jesus is the word. He was the word spoken in the beginning that created the world. He, the word became flesh in John's gospel in chapter 1. He is the word become flesh. That is who he is. And so he, his word possessed authority. Now, what I noticed about this, first of all, Luke doesn't tell us this. It says he was teaching on the Sabbath, but I want you to know this because it's important. The fact that Jesus possessed supernatural authority uh, uh, is one thing, and that he spoke with power is one thing, but this wasn't, preach, this wasn't street preaching. He was preaching in the synagogue. Mark told us that in his gospel that this teaching is going on in the synagogue. And so Jesus is is preaching in front of a bunch of people who are judging every word that he says. All the spiritual leaders are there. All the the teachers of the law are there. The Pharisees, the scribes are there. And it's important because he's going to talk about that. And he's he's preaching in front of those who claim to have power and authority and are are known as the teachers and are paid to do what they do. Uh, And and he's, he's speaking in front of them this powerful message and it's going to affect the way they feel about him. And we know that ultimately this is what continues to progress and build until finally Jesus is crucified by the same people. But Jesus didn't act like he had authority. Authority is at the core of the person called Jesus. He possessed authority. What does that mean? Well, number one, is it means that he speaks with authority. But number two, it means that he doesn't care what people think. Think about where our offense, whenever we take personal offense when somebody um, 
says that what we're saying is not true, or, or they, don't, they disagree with what we're saying, and we get upset about that. And we, you know, we start building our argument, and we argue back and forth, and finally, relationships break up over differences of opinion and philosophy. Jesus never took offense. You know why he didn't take offense? Because he was right. He was always right. He possessed, a, he possessed authority when he spoke. And the authority that was behind his words was, I'm right, so it doesn't matter what you think. All I'm doing is trying to convince you that, that what the Father is saying through me is truth, so believe it. And I, I hope that that's true for you today, that you understand that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that is all the authority you need. The Holy Spirit possesses authority. It is inherent in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not just, he, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need somebody else. When he speaks to you, you have the word you need. That's enough to say that. Just just know that. Inherent in the person of the Holy Spirit is this authority. Jesus possessed authority, which means that people who didn't accept his words and actions were wrong. So why why be offended by their ignorance? I love the fact that Jesus' authority means he doesn't lose patience either with people stuck in religion. Jesus could preach on and on, over and over again. He's in the synagogue preaching, and and he's getting stares, and he knows the hearts of every man. And all these religious leaders uh, who are are disagreeing with him, point after point, I'm sure nodding, uh, shaking their heads. Who is this guy? What's he saying? And everybody else is going, yes, finally, some authority. But Jesus doesn't give up on them. He still goes to the synagogue and preaches. He's preaching to those people who refused to accept him, and he preaches to them all the way to his death. He tells the story. He tells the truth about what God intends for them and what God was doing for them. He brings in the Old Testament and uses it and completes it and fulfills the the Old Testament prophecies. I love that. I love that he didn't lose patience with those who were stuck in religion because I was one of those. And I can tell you, that I was affected by the fact that God didn't give up on me. I still get emotional thinking about it, about the fact that God reached down to me when I was at the height of what I would consider to be religious egotism, at the height of what, what our denomination would call, not the very height, but at one of the highest places in our denomination where people looked at me and said, wow, you're a great leader and a great speaker. We want to hear what you have to say. And God reached down and grabbed me and took me out of that mess and showed me who he was. And I could hear his words. And I, I, would, I would rather sit with one person and talk about who Jesus is now than I would sit in front of thousands of people and speaking to, to thousands of people about some program in the church or something, some uh, activity that would make a difference for their kids. I can't tell you how it's affected me. And I'm constantly still convicted about how I lose patience with people who are still stuck in religion. And some of us need to hear this message today because at the gathering place, we are trying to release religion and embrace a relationship with God. And it's hard for us to, once we understand that, to, to, to deal with the, the opposition that we face outside, right? Y'all with me? When, when people outside are saying, you guys are crazy. What you're doing is not right. See, because you're supposed to do it this way. And here's the list. Or you don't believe right because here's what uh, the new uh, fangled religious uh, theologians are saying. And you need to believe in, con- in the way they believe. 
And so y'all are wrong, y'all are wrong, y'all are wrong. And I, I just got to say, I, I don't need to, to convince anybody. I'm confident in what the Spirit has said to me. And it is totally consistent with his word. Get that, church. God's Holy Spirit is never going to tell you something that contradicts his word because the Holy Spirit wrote the word. Why would he write something and then contradict it? He's not. But, but when you start listening, when you start looking around and finding people who have a heart for God, like we're going to talk about at the close of our day today, you find people who have a heart for God, like we sang about David today, who said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He, that was in context of the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I need one thing. I need Jesus. That's what I need. I need the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I need God. I'm thankful for his word, but I need him. And the power that's behind his word is him. And the love that's behind his word is him. And thank God the patience that's behind uh, his word is also him. He's powerful enough. He's confident enough. He doesn't need our help to help him figure out what truth is. And so I would just say, church, we need to make sure we aren't giving up on those who are stuck in religion. The fact that Jesus had supernatural authority and spoke with supernatural power means that people recognize that he had this powerful truth. What does it mean to, to speak as one who had authority? He goes on and defines it uh, in, in Matthew's uh, account of this passage. Listen to what Matthew said, or look at it. Here it is on the board. Matthew seven twenty eight. This is Matthew's account. He adds one little statement here that helps us to define this authority in another way. Not only was it powerful uh, in the in fact that he just possessed power, but look at what he says here. When he finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You know, we do a lot of comparing, and, and mostly what we're comparing is Glenn today and Glenn 10 years, 20 years ago. We don't need to compare ourselves to other churches. We just do a lot of comparing about where most of us were and where we are now. Most of us were like the scribes. And the reason I found a great sense of satisfaction that Matthew also chose to say this about Jesus when he described the authority that he had when he spoke, that he chose to compare him to the, the people they used to follow, to the scribes. The functions of the scribes were a number, uh, a number of things. First of all, they preserved the law. They were the professional students and defenders of the law, especially during the Hellenistic period because the priesthood had become so corrupt. But their, their job was to, to, to transmit unwritten legal decisions that had come into existence. And the, the purpose was to take the Mosaic law and to, and to plug it into daily life. And there was a lot of dispute in that. There were different, different disciples would, would, would interpret the Mosaic law differently. And so that's what, when people would choose to follow, to, to learn and be a disciple of a, of a rabbi, they would choose it based on uh, their way of thinking and interpreting the, the Mosaic law for daily life. And so that was their job. By their efforts, though, religion was reduced to a heartless formalism that we talk about that all of us have pretty much bitten into. They, they took the scripture and, and, and well-meaning early on probably filled with God's, with God's power and then later on it just became filled with just rules and regulations. Y'all know anybody like that? 
Any of you ever experienced that? Where maybe you, maybe you started out in your experience with God and you were so passionate about God and passionate about what the Lord was doing in your life. There was power in it. You, 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 when you read the word, it would come to life. And then all of a sudden, uh, somebody started adding rules and regulations to what the word said. It was things that the Bible didn't say. It was, it was false interpretations. It was people trying to, trying to take scripture and do what's called eisegesis. They were reading into scripture what they wanted it to say rather than exegesis, taking out of Scripture what it really said. They weren't listening to what the Holy Spirit was saying about the Word, and, and, they, and they, were, they were teaching their thoughts and ideas. And it, it, it quickly reduces itself to religious, empty religious formalism. And most of us have experienced that. It's distasteful. And if we were looking at what does it mean when Jesus speaks and he has authority as one who has authority, here's what it means. It is not that. We don't have to add the list of rules to what God tells us to do. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we don't have to add somebody else's list of rules. It doesn't matter if we look like somebody else. It doesn't matter if we look like somebody who's read the book and then made their rules and passed those rules on. That was the second thing they did. They gathered around them. Not only did they preserve the law, but they gathered around them pupils to instruct in the law. And they were expected to retain the material taught and to transmit it without any variation. What does that look like? It looks like denomination in a lot of ways. If, if denomination gets beyond doctrine and we start moving, I mean, and, and even within doctrine, allowing some freedom for us to encounter God and ask the Lord regarding those things. We, we consider ourselves to be Southern Baptists and tied to Southern, to Southern Baptist Convention, but most of you will walk in here and never expect that or know that if you've been to a Southern Baptist church, just because there's so much freedom within the doctrines of the Southern Baptist church. So we, we function within those doctrines. But we're not. The reason why we don't look like a lot of other Southern Baptist churches is because we're doing what God tells us to do. Because that's what our doctrines say to do. We, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us. And we are abiding in him. And he is leading us as a church to be what we need to be for ourselves and for this community. But what these, these uh, teachers of the law, these scribes were doing, is they were passing down their rules and regulations, and you do it exactly the way we did it, and don't, there's no variations. Now, I'm going to confess something to you. This is something I'm continually moving forward in because I love what's going on at the Gathering Place West. And when we create another church, or when God creates another church, calls us to start another one, which will be soon, when we start another church, I, I, my tendency is to say, okay, it has to be just like this. We've got to do everything the same way again. And, I, and I'm not talking about the same way as in ask God what he wants us to do, do what he says. I'm saying we, we need to uh, be informal in worship. We need to, to have um, a drum cage that's not painted. Now for a year and a half, when's that thing going to get painted? I'm just kidding. When I do it, okay, I get it. Oh, it is painted. All right. It's painted wood. God painted it. It's beautiful. You know, you know how it gets, though. There can be any number of rules that every church shares the same. So when you walk in, you feel really comfortable because you're, you're experiencing what, you, what you're used to experiencing. Man, I just don't believe God wants that anymore. I think God wants, to walk, wants you to walk into church on a Sunday morning, walk into your, Bible, your quiet time every day. Uh, walk into a Bible study or a life group or whatever, and he wants you to have some kind of a surprise experience where he shows up and does something in your life you don't expect. 
That's the way God works. He's always worked that way. And I believe if we, if we start realizing that, that then we're not going to be as content anymore with this idea of just, of just carrying on through the generations what the same activities that, that churches have done and rules and regulations and programs and methodologies and all that stuff because the Holy Spirit's all about taking our, our hearts and forming our actions that will, in a way that will reach the community. I love, I love, love, love the fact that God lets me pastor millennials. Man, I can't tell you how much I love that. I never would have expected it. But years ago, I, I sat in a conference, or I was leading a conference on uh, How Now Shall We Live, Colson's book. And I had a whole bunch of, probably 300 leaders uh, of teenagers sitting in front of me. We were going through this book, and I was so confident uh, about that content. And when I came to this, this uh, statistic that Barna had that said that, that, in, that your generation would no longer automatically be inherited by the church. What that meant is you weren't going to just be a scribe who automatically just took on whatever your church said was right. And all the, there was a gasp in the crowd of leaders. You know, it was like, oh no, what are we going to do? There's panic in, in the room. And I was the only one going, this is good news. I, I was surprised and shocked by the way these people were responding because I thought, finally, somebody's going to think for themselves. Finally, somebody's going to open their heart up and let God speak and let God be God and do something in your generation that's not been done. And, and so, man, I, I can't tell you guys how thankful I am that God allows me to pastor a church that, that draws millennials. And it's because, because this is the goal that God has for us as a body. He wants us to abide in him, to know him. He wants his word to have authority in our lives. He wants that when he speaks and we, we know that he's spoken, we have, we have encountered the authority of the word of God. And it's just been watered down so much. And then that watering down has been passed on uh, through the ages. And then the la- third thing that the scribes did is they were the lawyers, teachers of the law. They were the lawyers. They were the Sanhedrin. They were the ones that made the rules. And so that's when it gets real legalistic. And we despise legalism at the gathering place. Amen? Oh, yeah? Because amen sounds like the old school, right? <laughs> we despise legalism because we, 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 we're still struggling with detoxing from that. All of us grew up trying to be good people, impressing God, making God happy with us. And we're tired of it. I've got a lot more years of that than you do, and I'm so thankful that I don't have to do that anymore. Man, I'm so thankful that nobody decides for me who I have to be except for Christ and his Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. And I love that. I love walking life that way. So when it says that Jesus spoke as one who had authority, who possessed authority, it also means that he was not like the scribes, and I hope you have discovered that. I hope today, as I'm speaking the word, as you hear the word, as you hear what the Holy Spirit is saying through me about the word, that all those things, I hope they are lighting you up on the inside. That's what he's talking about. When they were astonished and they had awe, they weren't in awe even of Jesus. They were in awe of the words and the power and the way that it changed their lives. How does he know these things? He's never been taught. He doesn't have a degree. He didn't study under under the Pharisees. How does he know this stuff? It's because his father knew it. And that power, that authority that, that he possessed, that his, that his words just, uh, were demonstrative of, was the power of God in him, the Holy Spirit in him, speaking and empowering him. And I pray for that. I pray for that every time I get up to speak, 
I hope you never are impressed with me, but I hope you are way, way impressed with what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Impressed enough that you'll respond in the way that he would have you respond. This is what the Bible says about the word who is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says this. For the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirits, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Jesus' was, Jesus's teaching was not heartless formalism. It was filled with life. His words cut to the heart of the people that listened. It still does. The Holy Spirit still does that because uh, Jesus was perfectly led by the Holy Spirit. His, his words possess power that my words never can. Jesus never failed to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do. In a moment, he spoke to everybody. There wasn't a chance that you would walk into a synagogue when Jesus was speaking that your specific uh, needs weren't met, that your mail wasn't read because the Holy Spirit was communicating constantly with Jesus, and everybody walked out of there astonished. They all looked at each other and said, well, did you, what, what was that? And it wasn't the same point. It was different points. Whatever God needed for his people to know, Jesus spoke it, and I want to be that. I want to be that for you. I hope I, I hope I am that at times for you. I won't be perfect at it, but can you imagine Jesus doing that? Perfectly led by the Holy Spirit. No wasted words. No meaningless words. Every word moved the hearts of the people who listened in amazement until their unveiled issues were addressed. And you can just envision the crowd looking around at each other in shock and awe as their needs were met by his words. And we've all experienced what happens when the Holy Spirit fills a person with the right words for us in a particular service, in a time, in a moment. Some of you are having that moment right now. But it seems like maybe I've been at your house, I've been listening to somebody talk about you, but then the Holy Spirit is enlightening you, he's cutting you, his word is getting into your heart, and he's, he's, he's cutting you like a two-edged sword back and forth, and he's moving in you, and, and you are naked and exposed in the eyes of God, and you can't hide from him, he knows your stuff, he's speaking the words that you need to hear, it's not by accident that you're hearing what you're hearing. That was Jesus' words. His words were not instructions in the law that were memorized and regurgitated mindly to the next generation. His teaching was filled with living and active words that changed the hearts of the listeners, making them not only disciples but hungry listeners who wanted more of his word. They wanted to be around him to hear more of what he had to say. What's your next teaching? He wasn't a lawyer who used the letter of the law to judge people. He spoke truth. And the truth caused us, caused men in his day to, to judge themselves. And simultaneously, it gave them also the, the desire and the power to change. I'm thankful today that Jesus speaks with authority. And just know, you're not listening on Sundays to me. You're not listening for me to give you something. And if you are, then hmm, that's never happened. If you are, then you're then you're listening. You're listening to, for the wrong reason. You're you're in the wrong place. 
Look, the, the, nobody's impressed with you reading your Bible every day. If you're, if you're reading your Bible so you can tell somebody about it, you're, li- you're listening in the wrong way. God wants to, to let his word get in you and change you and motivate you and give you abundant life, life that's full and meaningful. And he's working to do that today. And so whatever you've heard today, my, my prayer is that you will obey the spirit who's speaking to you. How long will he be with you and, and speak in, with authority in your life and you not know that he is God. I hope that you realize that today. Now I'm going to close today. We're going to have communion. After I turn my phone off, we're going to have communion, and I want I want to finish this text out and this story by using this Old Testament experience that Jesus gave new meaning to, because in the Old Testament. There was an experience that they had together that, was, that, w- that became a ritual, a yearly, annual experience uh, that had all kinds of things tied to it, uh, feasts and festivals and, and uh, a, a special meal that they shared together. And Jesus takes a moment, and in that moment, he redefines the exodus of Israel and the, the, uh, the experience of of the the of God sending the death angel down and and passing over the the homes of all the Israelites who put blood on the doorposts and and it was a beautiful experience of of their exodus and their and God moving and freeing them but they didn't have an experience with God in the middle of that the, the very next day they're complaining saying that God brought them out in the wilderness to die they didn't know God they just had this this experience that ultimately Jesus would bring meaning to, and we're going to do that today to close. For the sake of those who are baptized today, which I want to invite you, first of all, if you will, to come. Those of you that were baptized today, to come and to, to uh, get a cup. Those of you baptized, come on. Are y'all still here? Did we lose anybody? Come on, Luke. I'm going to invite y'all to take a cup in a in a. Uh, cracker and just sit on the front right here in just a minute uh, we're going to share community together all right Kobe if you'll come and uh, and let's do our, our final song today and uh, as we're doing that I'll invite the rest of you also to come up and to take a cup and a cracker whoever would like to take communion with us today and, uh, and then we will read our final scripture, make our final point, enjoy uh, sharing the cup and the bread together, and then, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. So y'all come as you, everybody can stand while we sing and then come and get your cup and bread.